Well, it's nice to see you all here, some visitors, new folks and others. <coughs> um, got the short straw today, I was asked to preach, so here we go. We're going to be turning to, uh, in the good book, to Luke chapter 19, I think it is. Let me just check. I believe so, yes, Luke 19. But I thought I might just uh, start with a prayer and then a, a joke about an Irish mother's letter to her son. So let's pray. We'll need the prayer because of the joke. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come and to not only worship and bless you, but also to be encouraged in our spirits by each other's company and also particularly your presence as your word is proclaimed. And we pray, Father, that today as we listen to the proclamation of your word, that you would use it in some way to not only uh, instruct us, but more importantly, to inspire us, to inspire us. And so, Father, we thank you for this moment and we open our hearts and our lives to you in order that we might, Lord, be properly tutored in the things that are of you. We thank you, Lord, for the pulpit in this place and for the uh, wonderful instruction and proclamation that our pastors give to us. Particularly thank you for Andrew's sermons the last couple of weeks. And uh, Father, we thank you that you continue to do a good work in our midst through the pulpit ministry. And we ask that today, Lord, some of us would find our lives enhanced and changed dramatically for the better. And we acknowledge, Lord, that your Holy Spirit lifts us up and brings a deep sense of hope each and every day as in faith we come before you. And so we're here today, Lord, to learn and to be inspired and to know your very presence in the proclamation of your word. We come in faith and with ears that are wanting to hear. And we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is all hope and all glory and all future. Amen. So a mother decided that she would uh, write a letter to her son. And if you are, are Irish or have Irish heritage, remember in the 70s and 80s, the 1970s and the 1980s, I better be clear about that. There, were, there was a round of things. People had a great sense of humour in terms of the Irish, including the Irish themselves. And so this is a letter that I came across. I've just this last week taken four and a half thousand sermons from my father's study. And uh, I'm looking for anyone who might want them. <laughs> but we have suitcases full of sermons. And I came across a couple of jokes that I thought I might use from time to time as, as I get the opportunity. Dear son, just a few lines to let, let you know that I'm still alive. I'm writing this letter slowly because I know you can't read all that fast. You won't know the house when you get home. We have moved. About your father, he has a lovely new job. He has 500 men under him. 
he cuts grass at the cemetery. When we came to the new home, there was a washing machine. But it hasn't been working too well. Last week, I put in 14 shirts, pulled the chain, and haven't seen the shirt since. Your sister Mary had a baby this morning, but I haven't found out whether it's a boy or a girl. So I don't know if you're an uncle or an aunt. Some sad news, your Uncle Patrick drowned last week in a vat of whiskey in the Dublin brewery. Some of his workmates tried to save him, but he fought them off bravely. They cremated him and it took three days to put out the fire. I went to the doctor on Thursday and your father went with me. The doctor put a small tube in my mouth and he told me not to talk for 10 minutes. Your father offered to buy it from him. (laughs) It only rained twice this week, first for three days and then for four days. Monday was so windy that one of the chickens laid the same egg four times. We had a letter from the undertaker He said, if the last payment on your grandmother's plot wasn't paid in seven days, up she comes. Your loving mother, XXX. P.S. I was going to send you $10, but I had already sealed the envelope. (laughs) Passable? Possibly. So the title of today's sermon is simply this. If Jesus came to your house, let's look at Luke chapter 19. The first 10 verses is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And I thought that we should uh, read through it and then reflect on it a little. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Jesus must have been fairly confident, inviting himself to stay at someone's house for lunch as well. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, whoever they all are. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you know Luke's gospel, you'll know that 
in uh, this section and a couple of sections, one of the main themes in Luke's gospel is God's intention in saving and seeking out those who need him. And conversion is at the very centre of the biblical message. Throughout the Old and the New Testaments, the message is that it's never too late to change. You need not be locked into what you have always been and done. You are not a prisoner of your track record. There can always be a fresh start in God. The possibility of sudden conversion, in other words, in a day, someone, in a moment, someone being transformed, is God's gift to everybody, whether they be liberal or conservative, high church or low, charismatic, Pentecostal or evangelical. Whatever your political or theological stance, it is never too late to repent and turn to God, which is the essence of conversion, whether it be suddenly or gradually. In terms of the conversion experience, if you're studying the scriptures, the story of Zacchaeus is an important case study. Jesus was coming to visit Jericho, a town by the Jordan River. It was a very important trade center, and historically, it was important as well. King Herod had a palace there, and Jesus was passing through, and the crowds had come out to see him. His reputation had gone ahead of him. This strange, holy man who might be the Messiah. Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector, was part of the crowd, and because he was vertically challenged, he climbed a sycamore tree, and a sycamore tree has low, long spreading limbs, branches that they, people can go out on. <clears throat> and be, <clears throat> being vertically challenged, he climbed the tree in order to see Jesus better. The parade finally arrived, and Jesus passes by. But in spite of the crowd, Jesus notices Zacchaeus. And so he summons him to come down and to feed his disciples and himself at his house. Jesus literally invites himself to dinner. And I want to ask the question that you probably have asked many times as you've pondered this passage. Why did Jesus zero in on Zacchaeus? Was it because he had heard that Zacchaeus, being wealthy, had a chain of fine restaurants. Do you think Jesus ever thought that way? Do you think he might have thought, I know this guy knows how to make good pizza. Thank you, Father, for that word of knowledge. And so he singles him out in order to go. Do you think Jesus ever targeted a person in order to get a good feed? It's worth asking, isn't it? Worth thinking. Why did Jesus zero in on Zacchaeus? And there can be a lot of reasons, but perhaps it was because he was the most ready and open person in the crowd. Though Zacchaeus lacked piety, maybe he was the one who was most hungry for the new life that God could, had for him. 
Maybe in his life he had tried wealth and power and attained both, but found that they didn't really satisfy what he was looking for. Luke gives us the condensed version of the event. They go home. They sit and they eat. Do you ever wonder what they spoke about? Who did the most talking, do you think? Did Jesus tell Zacchaeus all about God, about conversion, about prayer and about Christian ethics? Was Jesus the great inexhaustible fountain of wisdom and Zacchaeus the audience? Or is it possible that when you're in the presence of God, he asks about you because he's interested in you. In Zacchaeus's case, he might have said to him, tell me about your life. How did you get so rich? Do you have any friends? Do you and your wife get along? Tell me about your children. How did you get this pizza to be so good? Zacchaeus was immediately converted. Even though we don't have any record of what actually happened during the meal. But I have the feeling that Zacchaeus was the agenda over that meal. Zacchaeus was immediately converted and he put his faith into practice instantly. He tells everyone present that he would pay back everything that he has defrauded four times over, thus obeying the law of the day. That wasn't particularly generous. He just met the legal requirement. However, beyond that, Zacchaeus proposed to give away half his goods and that aspect of his declaration was entirely voluntary. How many of you, after a meal with Jesus, would stand up and say, I'm going to repay four times what I've stolen, and more than that, I'm, of all that I have, I'm going to give away half. It must have been a pretty impressive thing that had happened to Zacchaeus. And so Jesus responds, and, and it's recorded, he says, Today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation hasn't come to Zacchaeus alone, it's come to the whole house. When the head of a household commits his or her life to the Lord, the whole house is blessed. And it's interesting that Zacchaeus went cold turkey. Like an addict who gives up drugs or alcohol or social media or computer games with no gradual withdrawal but cold turkey. Bang. In an instant, he gave up his attachment to his money and his old lifestyle, and salvation was pronounced by Jesus himself. And the good news in this passage and all through Scripture is that it is never too late. You can begin again. It's one of the reasons John Wesley used to accompany prisoners going to the gallows in the prison car. 
to give them the gospel in the hope that in the last moment of their life, they would begin again. Who are the converted according to the biblical record? And the conversion can be in a moment, in a day, in a conversation over dinner, or it can be gradual over time. We have examples of both in the scriptures. But who are the converted according to the biblical record? Here are just a few to give you a sense of hope in your own circumstances. Abraham the liar. Jacob the cheat. David the adulterer. Rahab the harlot. Peter the coward. Nicodemus the proud religious leader. All are unlikely converts. Jesus also tells a parable in Luke 11, just after he teaches the disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer. And that helps all of us who have experienced conversion to move in life to a place not just of change, but also of communion. You see, we don't want to stay just as a converted person. We want to move into that place of communing with God and with his people in a way that is constructive and that is hopeful and that reflects the grace of God in our lives and our faith to trust him for the big things as well as the small. The key verse is verse 10. The parable and the parable underscores the necessity of what is called importunate, which means persistent, importunate prayer. A certain man knocked on his friend's door at midnight to ask for some bread to feed an unexpected guest. And although the sleepy neighbor told him to go away, the man continued to knock and ask, and eventually his petition was granted. You know, there is a valuable spiritual therapy in asking God importunately for what we need. Of course, God could provide the need before we ask. But that's not in our best interest. You won't like to hear that. All of us want our prayers answered yesterday. We need the communion that comes through prayer in our lives. The patience that comes with waiting for the answer and reminds us that we're not God. If our prayers were answered immediately, we would be God. Or we would take the place of God. We need the faith that is an integral part of continuing to ask. Further, we need this discernment that comes as we continue to pray and continue to knock and continue to ask. We need the discernment that comes with having to separate our wants from our needs. And so I want to suggest three helpful prerequisites 
to importunate prayer. The prayer that knocks on the door and suddenly breaks open and gets the answer despite the resistance. Importunate prayer, the sort of prayer that is persistent and helps us to grow in our relationship with God. Firstly, must be a legitimate prayer. God doesn't answer frivolous petitions that we ask him for, where we're asking for our wants rather than our needs. So the prayer must be a legitimate one. Secondly, the prayer can't be casual. It must be desperate. It must be meant. It must be intent. It must have intention. It must have focus. And the third thing is that it shouldn't be an expression of the fact that we're playing games with God. If you are genuinely concerned for that loved one, don't pray just once for him or her. Keep on knocking. Until you get the breakthrough. You see, prayer isn't just an easy way of getting what you want. But it's the only way of becoming what God wants us to be. As we learn to pray, as we learn to struggle for things in God, as we learn to reach out, to neighbours and to friends, as we learn to allow that change of heart that we've experienced with God to be a daily walk. Give us this each day our daily bread. Building our lives on prayerfully seeking the will of God. As that happens, the thing that happens is that we ourselves begin to change. It's my belief, I'll find out when I get to heaven, I guess, that Zacchaeus learnt that that day wasn't just a one-only change, but it was the start of change after change after change after change in his life. I heard uh, during the week an interesting phrase was simply this. God's building me a mansion in heaven but I'm the one supplying the furniture in the way that I respond to his work in my life. Let me give you an example. I'm giving this example because a couple of people in the church who know about it encouraged me to do so, and I'm not wanting to, uh, wanting to acknowledge very much that this is the hand of God. How does prayer Bring us into that place of communion. Well, some of you and many of you actually know that uh, my parents have been declining in their years and have got to a place where they need 24-7 care, pretty much. And in the lead up to Christmas uh, last year, for a fair bit of the year, uh, along with my um, brother and sister, we uh, were sleeping over and helping and caring and tending to their needs which were fairly demanding as the year went on with the both of them. And we, uh, I in particular, was under a lot of pressure about getting them into a nursing home. 
But I was particularly aware of my mother in particular, her reticence to go and, and, and to be in a nursing home. And in addition to that, I didn't want to rush that, which I think sometimes happens in modern day society. We, we try and hide that sort of thing away. So I wanted us to make sure that we, we went at the right time. And so we got towards the end of last year and uh, over a, a couple of, uh, about six week period, we had them both in hospital and then the week before Christmas, my dad went into hospital again. He was in hospital all over Christmas. My mum had one last Christmas at home. <clears throat> and I came to church after a very solid week with a lot of pressure and a lot of things happening, knowing that we needed to find somewhere for them to go. The ideal place would be at the nursing home across the road from where I live. And so I came to church and I was sitting in the, pre, uh, the prayer meeting before the service up the back and there were a few of you there, I know, and, and I got this image of a loaf of bread about this long and, you know, really a big loaf of bread that just looked good enough to eat. And uh, I got that image, and so I prayed, as you know, those of you who have been around, we have a Heidi Baker prophecy over the church about being a holy bakery where there's a smell of fresh bread. No one likes yesterday's bread. They want fresh bread. And so we prayed that, I prayed in that vein in the prayer meeting. But when we came into the service, and I'm sharing it in this way, because this should be our experience regularly particularly in worship and in the service. We came in and, and the worship, I, I don't know if the worship was any good that day. No idea. It doesn't matter to me whether it's right up there or down here. I can worship despite what's happening around about. And <clears throat> it was good, by the way. <laughs> but as the worship started, bang, I could see in my spirit this particular loaf of bread again. And I kept thinking, what, you know, is there something more than what we've already prayed in the prayer meeting at the back? And, and you know, what, what are you trying to say? And it just kept coming to me about 20 minutes into the worship. I suddenly, I said, Lord, is this for me personally? And as clear as a bell, the Holy Spirit simply said, this week, that bread represents the provision that I am making for your parents. And despite all the odds, you will see my provision open for them. That's not bad. I was in a good mood that day as a consequence. I thought maybe God's with me. But the thing was, the door was still there. Nothing had changed other than I'd been praying. My family had been praying. A lot of you had been praying for us. And, and in the midst of that environment, I get a vision. So what? Well, a little bit further on in the week, we get to Wednesday and I'm told that they're going to move my dad from Queen Bean Hospital down to Cooma or Yass because I haven't been able to arrange anything for them. And so I'm thinking, well, things are getting pretty desperate. Had a few words with the ACT Carers Association and so on. But because it was over Christmas, New Year, there was nothing around or happening. It was very one of those vacuums. And I was told that the, the place that we had wanted to get them into would not accept them. Because we're talking two places, not one. 
And about 5.20pm on Wednesday afternoon, having had three days in waiting on what God had said to me and still seeing the bread and just saying I, I had shared it with my brother and sister and a couple of other family members, I kept saying, I thank you for the provision. I thank you for the provision. About 5.20, I get a phone call from the nursing home that we wanted to get them into saying, your father is coming here tomorrow at 11am via ambulance from Queen Bianne Hospital. Could you please ring me? I went, wow. So I rang. I was asked to come in at 11 o'clock the next morning. So I did. I went in and I was greeted with, there's a fair chance that your mother will be here tomorrow as well. If you want, I said, I said, <laughs> I said, that's the bread. To cut a long story short, I'm sharing it for this reason. This is our life in communion with God. This is the way God operates in our lives. This is how he speaks to us and in other ways. This is what he does. For his people. We've had so much favour there, it's hard to believe. And we've had the favour because there's been a prayerfulness amongst many people for my parents, for which I thank you. But you see, that's how God works. We kept knocking. We kept knocking. After the vision, we started thanking. We started thanking. We knew that God would move. I had someone from the ACT carers ring me and say, what are we doing with your mother's uh, <clears throat> reservation at this particular nursing home um, starting next Monday? She's still going in there. And I, that was on the Friday. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten to ring you. We got them into this particular nursing home. She almost fell out of a chair. She said, you are kidding. I said, no. She said, I cannot believe that, given what I was told two days ago. You see, God has his ways. And Zacchaeus entered into that at that time. Where are the times? I'm going to uh, wrap up. Might be three or four hours before it finishes. But... So I want to conclude with this. This is a poem that I came across the other day that I can remember as a kid, having heard those four and a half thousand sermons many times over, I can remember as a kid that my dad used to use. And it's a really good poem. And it cuts through. And for some of us, as you listen to this, there'll be some things that you realise in your life you need a fresh conversion in, in terms of your focus, in terms of what you're doing. It's entitled, If Jesus Came to Your House. You can find it in a children's <laughs> book. If Jesus, I've added one or two things. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpected, I wonder what you would do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honoured guest. And all the food you'd serve him would be the very best. And you would keep 
assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you greet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard and wished you hadn't uttered that last loud, nasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Would you let Jesus write in or would you rush about? Yes, I wonder if Jesus spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you go on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does? From day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you scan the social media feeds you always like to read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd plan to go? Or maybe would you change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends or hope they would stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever, on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when he at last had gone. It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus came in person to spend some time with you. Would you stand for prayer? When is the time to consider conversion? Today is the accepted hour. Today salvation can come to your house and mine. When is the time to consider communion? Today is the accepted hour to enter more deeply into the communion into which, for which you were converted in the first place. God our Father will confirm his care over your life as you learn to pray for the things that seem out of reach. Father, as we come to the conclusion of our time, we thank you that you are a God who continues to sow good seed in our lives. You're a God who 
has his face towards those who sincerely pray for the things that you place before them. Father, I pray today for those who are knocking on the door who have not seen the answer to prayer. And I include myself in that. We have not yet seen the end result with my parents. And we're still asking for it, Father. But we pray today for those who are still knocking, for whom it's been tough, and for whom it seems that their knuckles are wearing out on the door. Lord, would you go to their house today? And would you bring the breakthrough that they're seeking? Would you answer the prayers? But Lord, don't do it before you finish the work in them that you're doing. And Father, I thank you that all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ with humility know how dependent we are upon him. And I thank you, along with my brothers and sisters here, that, Lord, you have not given up on us. You continue to work in our lives in such a way to bring us into a deeper communion with you. May today be a day for breakthrough, but may today be a day where we are more than ever aware of your presence and your providential providential hand working in our lives. May today be a day where you point out to us things that need to go and things that are right in your eyes. And as we depart from this house that we call your house, may we carry the anointing that your spirit brings into our lives. And as we come to this time, Lord, we enter together. We end together by saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.